Hey everybody, Magnus here. Basically, what's going on is this entire Superman Begins uh, miniseries is intended to, as I've said before, celebrate the various origin stories and all of that that Superman has had in comics over the years. Well, maybe not all of them, but the ones that that I have the uh, the most to say about and the most familiarity with. Those are the ones that, that I've been talking about and will be talking about. But as I said, all of this is really sort of intended to tie in with the uh, Blu-ray release of Man of Steel, which is itself a another Superman origin story, and that's kind of the impetus behind all of this. I think, actually, it's sort of a long overdue new origin story for Superman in, in the movies, but I, for the purposes of this introduction, that's really neither here nor there. So, the point is that it feels like if all of this is intended to relate in some way to goings-on with Man of Steel and everything, it seems kind of weird to not talk about Superman Returns. Because without Superman Returns for better or for worse, we we wouldn't have Man of Steel. So, this is the episode where I'm going to talk at length about Superman Returns and basically what I guess you could you, you could say my my feelings are uh, about it, you know, how I how I reacted to, you know, the news of its announcement, you know, and the developments with the production of it and then the eventual release of the movie, and I guess also the the film's legacy. You know, where does it fit in with, with history? And so that's really the entire purpose of this episode. So I'm sort of putting the Superman Begins thing on pause, and for, for this episode, it's sort of a bonus episode, and then I'm going to pick everything back up um, next week with uh, Superman Begins. So stay tuned for that. Hey, your attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? You shot first. Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. <laughs> Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. I'm your host, Magnus, and around here, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. Lately, I've been bashing through a miniseries called Superman Begins, wherein I talk about Superman origin stories in comics as a sort of lead-up to Man of Steel coming out on Blu-ray. I'm putting that on pause today, though, Today is an interlude in my Superman Begins series. You see, I haven't talked all that much about comic book movies on this show. At least, 
not as compared to other podcasts that cover these same kinds of subjects. Now, the reason for that is because I think people place way too much importance on movies. I mean, look, they're fine in their place, but it sometimes feels like comic book characters run the risk of becoming movie characters, as far as perception is concerned. I don't want to see that happen, and I don't want to be part of the problem. Now, one reason I feel this way is because I've been burned by a comic book movie, and it was only then that I realized I'd sort of made too big a deal out of it. But one thing at a time. Superman Returns is how we came about getting Man of Steel, so it would seem kind of strange to not talk a little bit about it. And as it happens, I have a lot to say about Superman Returns. Word to the wise, though. Fans of Superman Returns may not dig what I have to say, but as I say, first things first. I've got a metric fuckton of praise from my loyal subjects to sift through. At the time of recording all this, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality as a show just blew the fuck up, so I've been getting a considerable amount of praise from my loyal subjects. You see, for August and a goodly bit of September, my numbers were fairly decent. Nothing to write home about, but not bad for a rookie. But this month, October, but this month, October, my numbers pretty much tripled overnight, and as I record this, they still haven't returned to normal yet. And they may not. This may be the new normal. I don't know. Now, the reason this became a challenge was because I record most of my shows way the hell in advance. I'll give you an example. The episode I did with Chris Honeywell where we talked about the big book of urban legends, that was recorded back in August, but it wasn't released until September the 30th. The stuff I have to say about Superman Returns, that was all recorded back in September. I'm recording this new intro in October. This show itself won't be released until sometime in November. That's how far ahead I am. Why am I telling you all this? Well, my point is that stockpiling shitloads of episodes works great for ensuring a weekly release schedule, but it kind of plays hell on acknowledging praise that all my loyal subjects have given me. Sitting on this stuff until I record a new episode, which I expect to do at the time I record all this, I, that's going to be next week, that means I wouldn't get to discuss any of this until December. And that might seem like a diss to some of you loyal subjects, and that's the last thing I want to do. So I'm going back into my Superman Returns episode to deal with this stuff now. It's really the best I can do, as everything else leading up to this is ready to go for the proper release date. I, you know, those are pretty much locked in place now. And to drag this out even more, you may be saying, But Magnus, but Magnus, why is it like this? Why do I have to record everything so far the fuck ahead of time? Well, basically what seriously pisses me off about the modern 
comics industry is the abject disregard for meeting deadlines and release schedules. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the industry would complete all or most of some miniseries or storyline before soliciting even the first issue? Yes, it would. But, for whatever reason, they don't. Now, I don't want to be guilty of the same thing they are, so I've chosen to record my shit way ahead of time. And I'm sure the day will come when I can't meet a weekly release for whatever reason. I'm sure the day will come when I miss a week. If and when it comes to that, I may have to perhaps adjust my release schedule to bi-weekly or something. Of course, the flip side to that is that I don't podcast for a living, so who really gives a shit if I'm a week late for something I don't get paid for and something that my subjects receive for free? I think my subjects would make allowance in this. So I've already got a leg up on the comics biz right there. If I made a living off my podcast, you can bet your ass it would be released every week like clockwork. And no, I'm not dropping hints that I want to do this for a living. It seems that Kevin Smith is the only one who can and who wants to do this for a living anyway. I'm just drawing a comparison. I also now realize I've gone off on a pretty fucking wild tangent, so hmm. Anyway. My point is that I want to keep a, re- uh, a weekly release schedule, and what made the most sense was to record a bunch of shit way ahead of time. That's all I'm saying. Now, as I say, that's worked out pretty well so far in terms of consistency, but the downside is that praise from my loyal subjects often can't be acknowledged publicly for a pretty long time. So, <clears throat> to all of you who have sent email iTunes reviews, stock tips, blank checks, your panties, and other things, please understand that I have not been ignoring you. This is just the first new episode I've recorded since my numbers went off the fucking scale back in October. Because it's still October as I record all this. Get it? Anyway. So, the first bit of feedback that we're going to go through, this comes from Michael Bailey, host of the Views from the Long Box and From Crisis to Crisis podcasts. He sent me a message on Facebook saying, I don't normally do this sort of thing, but in the JSA episode, you attributed the Expositional News Network to Thomas DJ. I have contributed little to the podcasting lexicon. I would, And this is just me talking now, uh, Magnus. I would actually take issue with that, Michael. But anyway... I've contributed little to the podcasting lexicon, but that phrase came from me and FCTC, from Crisis to Crisis. Not bitching, just pointing it out, loving the Young Justice, Justice Society of America episode. And on this, I kind of have to say mea culpa. Um, basically, Thomas DJ, uh, he's, for those of you who don't know, the host of Better in the Dark, or was. I'm actually not, I'm really far behind on that. I'm actually not sure if that's actually still an an active show or not, but the point is the guy is absolutely fucking hilarious, and it just kind of seemed to me that the term expositional news network is the sort of smart-ass thing that he'd come up with, and so, Michael, sorry. Uh, I'm glad that, you know, you didn't take any of this personally, but uh, anyway, it's just, is is an honest mistake. So, anyhow. Next, I've got an iTunes review. This comes from uh, Curtis. The title of this is a, quote, Magnus, unquote, opus of awesomeness. Four stars for the podcast, plus one star for having such a cool name as Trentus Magnus. Wow. 
What a refreshing voice in a sea of weak sauce. Trentus's take on comics, movies, and TV don't come off as typical fanboy rantings, but rather convey a deep-seated respect and understanding for his subject matter. His opinions are backed up with such passion and well-thought-out reasoning and detail that it's hard to argue, and ultimately pointless, since, as Trentus points out, he's right and we're wrong. Despite my growing up as a Marvel Comics fan, and by the way, Curtis, nobody holds that against you, despite my growing up as a Marvel Comics fan, I still find him fascinating to listen to regardless of subject matter. He's already rekindled my interest in the comics that I have now proudly passed on to my 10-year-old son, and that being said, it was when I heard his spot-on take regarding the Star Wars prequel and prequels and the expanded universe that I became a fan. Well played, sir. Well played. Listening is believing, so I urge you, I urge everyone to try at least one epi- one podcast and listen for yourself. You won't be disappointed. And this comes from Curtis in Houston, Texas. Curtis, thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, take first of all being the first uh, to uh, leave me a uh, review on a, on uh, iTunes, and second for all. Uh, all of these uh, kind words it's um, it's very much appreciated actually you touched on something that i that i actually want to get into um i've got a big file here it's uh basically everything that i intend that i've thought of uh, covering on this show so far and conspicuously absent at least at first is stuff relating to to marvel but in the very near future, relatively speaking, um, I've, I actually do have some Marvel stuff coming up, and this may actually be up your alley. Um, I've actually got skipping ahead here a little bit. Um, I've actually got a very huge Marvel section um, uh, coming up. This is months down the line now. We're getting way into the future, but I've actually got a, a shitload of Marvel stuff set up and planned out and all of these things have yet to be recorded and I may want to get some guest hosts for that I may not I mean there are a lot of details here that I need to work out but bottom line is um, I'm going to start and it looks like I don't actually have dates for some of this stuff but it looks like I don't know probably February of 2014 I'm going to start with a sample of Marvel stuff and then uh, a few months down the line from there uh, the floodgates are coming open. It's going to be a shitload of Marvel stuff. Now, <clears throat> the reason I haven't gotten more into Marvel stuff is because fundamentally, at the end of the day, I consider myself to be a DC guy. Now, I have these little weekend warrior sort of blowouts in the in the Marvel universe, but DC is home. And so it it just felt like, you know, when I'm starting up my podcast... Well, they say, you know, you're supposed to write what you know. Well, in this case, I'm talking about what I know, and I know a lot more about DC than I do Marvel, and so it just seemed like it just seemed like that was the, the, the better way to go. So, anyway, so, but like, as I say, uh, if you're more into uh, Marvel than you are DC, well, sit tight, because I've got, I've got some of that coming up in the very near future. Next, this next bit of uh, feedback came from uh, Michael Bailey. This was a posting he made uh, on his uh, Facebook page. He said, so there are now about 32 episodes of a few podcasts on my iPhone. I've gone through all of the graphic audio productions I feel like going through right now, and it's time to catch up on some shows. There are a few shows I listen to as soon as they come out, and I have the feeling that Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality, has gotten on that list. 
There have been two other times where I've listened to a show starting at the beginning and the first episode just came out of the gate swinging. The first was Stella Moose Bowman's Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast, which, by the way, this isn't part of his thing, but uh, this is me, Magnus, talking. That's an excellent podcast. Back to Michael's posting. The first was uh, Stella Bowman's Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. The second was Hey Kids Comics, another good one, by the way. Trentus has a real easygoing style that hides the fact that his ego is the size of his home state. He's funny, acerbic, and defends things most other people wouldn't, and goes after sacred cows, but doesn't come off as a complete asshole about it, which is no mean feat. I agree, Michael, that's why I'm awesome. I find myself agreeing and disagreeing in equal measure, but the man has my respect, even if he has in the past made up the biggest lies about me as humanly possible. On a personal note, he has an awesome girlfriend as well. Yes, I do. Seriously, check the show out. I like it quite a bit. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate all of that, and I especially appreciate the comparisons to uh, From Batgirl to Oracle and Hey Kids Comics. Both of those are actually amazingly well-done shows, and to be put in the same company as those two, that's, that's very special. I, I really do appreciate that, and thank you very much. That's exceedingly high praise. And again, Michael Bailey is not exactly a stranger to shows himself. Uh, again, he does uh, the uh, Views from the Longbox podcast, which you can find at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, I think is the web address. Let me just have a quick look at that, but that actually sounds right. Oh boy, am I wrong. No, it's actually fortressofbailey2.com slash viewsfromthelongbox. So, boy, it's a good thing I double-checked on that, or he'd send me another correct uh, another correction. So that would be no bueno. Next, Scott Gardner sent as a message to me on Facebook. He said, I listened to your first episode yesterday and enjoyed it greatly. While I totally disagree about Smallville, sorry, but I absolutely detested that show, I found your take on it and delivery of your take on it very engaging. The music under you got to be a bit much after a while, though. The music in the latter half of the program fit quite nicely, but just having music play under you for the sake of music playing under you can be, and was, rather distracting. I spend more time trying to figure out what the piece is and or what the point of the music is, i.e., is it supposed to be emphasizing a point or enhancing a mood, than I do listening to what's being said. It's just the way my ear works. I just started episode two when I was pulling into my, dri- into my driveway, and that first minute and a half intro busted me up. Friggin' hilarious. Liked it so much I played it for the family. We'll continue to listen and provide feedback as I catch up to current apps. Uh, first up, uh, Scott Gardner is the uh, co-host of Two True Freaks. Now, I've had his co-host, uh, uh, Chris Honeywell, on my show already. As I said, that was the uh, Urban Legends episode. But... <clears throat> Never had Scott on here, at least not yet, but he's obviously been listening. And, you know, again, for him to issue the kind of praise that he has with a show of his stature, this is not, this is not small, small stuff. So first up, let me just say thank you, Scott. I really appreciate you, uh, first of all, taking the time to write to me, and then second of all, for issuing constructive criticism. Now, I can half-ass defend some of that. Um, there were... Ca- when I first recorded um, that first episode, I actually had to do it a bunch of times. And even the one that went up, it was the best that I had time for. In the end, my hand ended up getting kind of forced. That's another story for another time. But in the end, uh, my hand ended up getting forced. And so I just had to put up the best, the, the best version that I had. 
and some of the edits in there were actually rough to the point of being noticeable and maybe even distracting. And so I thought, well, parts of the other show, or parts of the rest of the show, have music underneath them. And so I thought I could just kind of hide these sort of rough spots by hopefully masking them in music. But um, that was actually the reason why there was just, I think it was almost nonstop music in, in that first episode, and that's the reason why. It was so rough that the only way I felt like I could make it even halfway presentable was because uh, was because of the music. Otherwise, it just wouldn't it, it wouldn't have have been able to work. So, so that's pretty much that. But all the same, like I said, Scott, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time to write, especially taking the time to, um, as I say, first off, uh, compliment me so much, and then at the same time. Um, uh, offer, uh, as I say, constructive criticisms. Now, as far as Smallville is concerned, the main the main idea behind that episode wasn't necessarily to change anybody's mind. For that matter, it wasn't necessarily to belittle people that don't like the show. The main reason I recorded it was because I'm kind of sick and fucking tired of people bagging on it all the time for flaws that, guys, it doesn't have. All right? Usually when people say that, you know, the show has this flaw or that flaw, they're really speaking from a severe degree of ignorance because so much of this, uh, of that show, comes from the comics. It, 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 you can draw a pretty straight line between some of the most controversial things that, that Smallville has done. You can draw a pretty straight line between that and comics. And what I find is that the people who whine and complain the loudest about it and Scott Gardner was never one of them. The people who bitch and complain about it the most are the people who have read the fewest comics. They, they've seen Superman the movie a thousand goddamn times, but they haven't, they haven't taken time to actually read any comics, and that, that's the issue here. So, anyway, so as I say, Scott, I'm, I'm happy that you enjoyed the episode, and I mean this in a good way. I'm not surprised that I didn't change your mind, because there's a sense in which it wasn't really... In, in, intended for you. As I say, I'm glad that, it, that, that you liked it, but it was actually a response to the other side of the spectrum from what you're on, the complete opposite side of the spectrum, the people who don't like the show, but for all the wrong reasons. And so, anyway, as I say, I hope nothing of that uh, came across as being pointed at, at you, because believe me, it wasn't. Anyway, next, we got another one from Michael Bailey. This was a, a posting that he made on Facebook. Um, regarding Episode 9, which was Superman Begins uh, Part 1. This related to The New Adventures of Superboy number 51 and Superman The Secret Years. Michael writes, Regarding the latest episode of Trentus Magnus's podcast, to paraphrase Dennis, Mil- Dennis Miller after Drake Sather did a set on the 13th annual Young Comedian Special, wow, I thought I'd carved the, the pissy, sarcastic niche when it comes to doing a comic book synopsis. Now I have to rethink that. Holy crap, that was funny. <laughs> um, let me just say that in general, actually, the reaction to that episode has been its been uh, very strong and very positive, as I think you all will be seeing in just a few moments. But again, Michael, thank you for taking the time to uh, talk me up so much on Facebook. Um, my numbers were already starting to go kind of off the scales, but your remarks, I think, kind of tipped the scales even more. So... Um, again, thank you very much. I, I, I appreciate all of that, and I'm glad that you enjoyed the show. I 
tried as hard as I could to make it uh, engaging and funny to listen to. Now, obviously not ep- every episode is going to be like that, but I, I thought there were just way too many golden opportunities to just kind of cut up and make jokes in that episode. And I'm, I'm glad that, uh, Michael, and Michael, that you enjoyed it. So thank you. The next, uh, this came as an email to me at um, my email address, which, by the way, is trentusmagnus at gmail.com. This comes from Sean Engel. He, uh, he, Sean Engel, of uh, Just One of the Guys uh, fame, this is another podcast. Um, I enjoy this show as well because I've played their promos quite a lot. So enjoy their shows quite a lot. I enjoy Sean and his point of view. And so um, this is what he has to say. After listening to the latest ep- oh sorry, the uh, title of this uh, of this email is "I Surrender." So, after listening to the latest episode of Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, the cleverly titled "Superman Begins" episode, I have found that I need to cease doing any form of podcasting or even speaking about the comics medium in any form from now on. You, sir, have mastered the art form and indeed perfected it. I was actually getting stares from other people because I could not stop from laughing out loud, literally, while listening. The topics were on point, the humor was blisteringly funny, and the comparisons to the Smallville television show were apt. I look forward to many more of these stories delving into your love of the character of Superman. All the best, Sean Engel. P.S. Actually, much to many people's chagrin... I probably won't give up podcasting as I set out to cover the entire 90s run of Green Lantern, and I hate starting something up and not finishing it. I'm odd like that. So let me just start by saying uh, again to you, Sean, thanks. I uh, First of all, appreciate you even taking the time to listen. Uh, second, I appreciate, you know, and especially you of all people, Sean, uh, t- writing in an, e- an email to tell me that I'm funny. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 Found that very amusing. So, um, again, those of you who don't know, Sean is the host of uh, Just One of the Guys. And as I say, it's kind of funny that Sean would say that I'm funny when I find his show absolutely fucking hysterical. So, um, this is a Green Lantern podcast. In fact, he did a kind of decent job of um, explaining what it's all about. But it's bas- it basically covers the, the entire 90s run of Green Lantern with a particular emphasis on Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner. And uh, it's, a, it's a great show. I, that's why I keep playing the promos for it. And, uh, Sean, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to write in. So, all right. So uh, that pretty much wraps it up for uh, feedback from my loyal subjects um, this time out. So first, I'm going to play some promos, and then uh, we'll talk some more about Superman Returns, or, as I sometimes refer to it, Brian Singer's Abortion. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. 
To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.fusefromalongbox.com. And from there, you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Long Box. A podcast about comics or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo Akachin figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, Gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out. It's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at twotruefreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the Two True Freaks Network. Duh. Wow, I'm really glad I decided to pony up and take my wife to Italy for her birthday. The food, the sights, the atmosphere, it's all just so perfect. Too bad I had to ask if there was a comic book shop located at the Vatican. Uh, maybe it wasn't the brightest thing to do on her birthday, but granted, I'm certain I've done things way more foolish than that. Good afternoon. Gah! Where did you come from, and who the heck are you? My name is Dufo de Manzo, and where I come from is none of your concern. What is of your concern is that I have an offer to make of you. An offer that you should not refuse. Uh... Okay, what is it? I have listened to your podcasts, and it just so happens that I am in the podcasting business myself. Someday I will ask a favor of you, one that I hope you will repay to me in good faith. When you do so, you will become a part of my family, and your show will prosper along with it. Oh, that sounds great. What do I need to do? You will know when the time is right. Until then... I wish you and your lovely wife the happiest of times in my fair country. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Some time has passed. And that does it for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Thanks everyone for listening, and I'll catch you all next week.
Bravo. Bravo. God! Bravo. How, how the hell did you find me? And how did you get in my house? Do not worry yourself with such trivial matters. I have seen your work with this podcast, and I have come to accept the favor that is owed to me. Uh, but you never said what you wanted from me. That is true, so let me restate it now. Wait, what? I have started up a brand new podcasting venture entitled Two True Freaks. I am setting them up with their own website, twotruefreaks.com. And I am gathering up podcasts such as yours that have gained my favor to become a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I will do the honor of putting the Just One of the Guys on the Two True Freaks network. And in return, our debt will be settled. Oh, okay. Hey, wait, what debt? Do you accept my offer? Uh, sure. I mean, does this mean I'll get paid for the show finally? No. Oh, okay. Well, does it mean I'll get some cannoli? Of course. The Demanzo family originated cannoli. In fact, we are known the world over for our stuffing of creamy fillings in the tubes. Come check out Just One of the Guys every Friday at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Okay, I'm back now, and so, to business. Superman Returns premiered on June 28, 2006, and it pretty much hit with a thud. The movie tanked at the box office. And people don't believe the revisionist bullshit. Superman Returns did not make a profit. A big tentpole film like this has to double its production cost in order to be considered successful. Box Office Mojo shows a production cost of $270 million. The film earned $200 million in the United States and $191 million uh, internationally for a worldwide gross of $391 million. Multiply the $270 million price tag and you get uh, a figure of $540 million. So $540 million is what Superman Returns would have needed to, to earn in order to be considered successful. It fell short of that to the tune of $149 fucking million. Now, you could argue that a big chunk of the $270 million budget re related to efforts by Tim Burton, J.J. Abrams, and others to make a Superman film, and that stuff shouldn't count against Superman Returns. To which I say, bullshit. That's not how business is done. If you spend $5 million to design a new iPod, scrap it, start all over again, and spend another $5 million to design uh, a new iPod that goes in a completely different, different way, you don't get to magically write off the first $5 million you spent. Nobody does business that way, and I think you'd probably go to prison if you tried. But, even if business was done that way, Superman Returns still fell short. Even if you assume that Warner Brothers spent only $220 million to make Superman Returns, it still, it still fell short of the mark by $49 million. So, Superman Returns was a money pit for Warner Brothers any way you care to slice it. 
Sorry to dwell on something so esoteric, but I'm sick and fucking tired of people trying to invent bullshit arguments that Superman Returns somehow turned a profit in theaters. It didn't. Deal with it. Now, I certainly have my thoughts on why it, it, it failed. But before we get into that, I feel like I should probably give my origin story with Superman because as I think back on it, I don't think I've ever come right out and said some of this stuff. But the short version is, I've been a Superman fan my entire life. Without a doubt, Superman is my absolute favorite character in all of fiction, and I don't recall a single time ever where I wasn't aware of Superman. Now, I grew up in the 1980s, back when Superman movies were ubiquitous and also understood to be safe choices for kid-friendly entertainment. So, I guess what I'm saying here is that my Superman fandom runs so deep that I sincerely can't remember when I first experienced Superman. That's how far back in, in my background he goes. Now, as a kid, movies are a lot easier to follow and get into than comics, but I eventually branched out into the comics. Now, don't get me wrong, I didn't know my pre-crisis Kurt Swan Superman from my post-crisis John Byrne Superman back then. All I knew was that I loved Superman. I was a six-year-old kid, and I loved Superman. But I held a very special regard for the movies. Now, yes, I have a complicated relationship with the Christopher Reeve Superman films. Now, that much is true. I mean, if I never hear that he made us believe a man can fly shit again, eh. but as I say, when you're a kid, you don't think the same way a commercially fanboy with attitude problems does, so all you know is you love seeing Christopher Reeve in a Superman suit. So anyway, I obsessively followed goings-on with the new Superman movie ever since Superman 4 came out. As I was a seven-year-old kid, I fell in love with Superman 4 and really didn't understand how many problems that it has. But then again, very honestly, I still hold Superman 4 in fairly high regard for what it at least attempted to do. But anyway, back to the point. I followed developments for a new Superman film through everything. The, the Carrie Bates Superman 5 script, the Tim Burton stuff, J.J. Abrams, Brett Ratner, all of it. And then, news came down the pipeline that Brian Singer was the latest director to attempt to make a Superman movie. And honestly, this time it felt different. You see, it, not because I could see the future or, for that matter, even had all that good a bullshit detector, but for whatever reason, I, I just never entertained the notion that any of Singer's predecessors would actually be able to make a Superman film. For whatever reason, and I don't know why, but it just didn't feel like it could happen. This Brian Singer thing... That felt different. That felt like something that was actually going to happen. 
it also felt like something I wasn't going to enjoy. Now, my sensibilities have changed a lot when it comes to Superman over the years, but at least at the time, I was balls deep into the Burn Age. For me, it was post-crisis Superman or bust. And it never crossed my mind that Singer was even going to try making a post-crisis type of Superman film. And then in short order, it became pretty apparent that this was going to be something of a continuation of the Richard Donner series. That kind of burned my balls at the time as I felt like it was high time for a reboot. But it also, and I'm not going to lie about this, it also came from a sort of hostile attitude. I was even then already starting to develop about the Donnerverse. It felt like Richard Donner's take on Superman had gone from being one guy's interpretation of Superman to pretty much being the official fucking Superman gospel. Superman, as much as any comic book character and dare I say more than most, is more flexible than that. Superman works well in the Donner films, but he can be so many things besides that. And I, I just couldn't help but think that setting a new movie in the Donnerverse was not only a huge mistake, it severely overlooked Superman's potential. In any case, the movie eventually came out and... I was slightly more receptive to seeing it than I had originally expected to be. Then as now, my Smallville fandom was not to be taken lightly. I love Smallville, and because of that, felt seriously fucking betrayed by the fourth season of the show. I don't want to derail things too much, except to say that Smallville's fourth season is pretty much everything Smallville shouldn't be. Everything that sucks about Smallville is on full display in undiluted strength during the show's fourth season. So, in an odd kind of way, Smallville's fourth season was just about the best primer I could hope for under the circumstances. I was still struggling with it when Superman Returns premiered, even though the fourth season had ended a year earlier by that point, it was still something that was on my mind. This was as close to being excited for uh, Superman Returns as I ever got. I went into the movie with the attitude that there's just no way Superman Returns could somehow be worse than Smallville Season 4. As it turned out, I was woefully mistaken. From beginning to end, Superman Returns was the near epitome of what I don't want in a Superman film. For starters, Brandon Routh was completely unconvincing as Superman. When, when people talk about Routh's performance in this movie, I have to wonder if we're talking about the same movie or the same guy. I, for one, do not see the resemblance between him and Christopher Reeve. Their faces are shaped differently, and so are their noses, cheeks, brows, and basically anything else that makes up anybody's face. I just don't see it. And I'm starting to think 
this is a case of the Emperor's new clothes. And since we're talking about superficialities, it's worth mentioning that comics tend to idealize the human form. Women have impossible curves, and men have impossible muscles. It's just the nature of the thing. And obviously, real people, even supermodels, usually don't look like comic book characters. But, even on that basis, Ralph has no similarity to Superman. He's long, tall, and has that lean swimmer's build going, while Superman tends to be blockier and more massive. Look, it's an inconvenient truth for a lot of fans, but in terms of his face and physique, Superman looks a lot more like Tom Welling or Henry Cavill than he does Brandon Routh. It's just that simple. For another thing, Routh's performance as both Clark and as Superman is ho-hum and forgettable. People want to believe that he is somehow limited by Brian Singer directing him to be like Reeve in the movie. But very frankly, I don't see very much of Reeve here. And even when he repeats Christopher Reeve's dialogue, it sounds completely unconvincing. Statistically speaking, it's still the safest way to travel. Sound like a damn credit card commercial. It's everywhere you want to be. When I see Ralph in anything other than this movie, he's effectively doing the same thing. He has the same awkward and wooden delivery and the same sort of scatterbrained speech pattern. And people, he's worked with some pretty big names in the movie business. You've got Kevin Smith, Brian Singer, Edgar Wright, Kevin Monroe, and others. And I, I don't, I honestly don't, this is not counting the various TV directors that, that, that he's worked with as well by this point. And yet his performance is always uniformly lackluster. So is the problem then that none of these directors know how to pull a decent performance out of him? Or is the more likely explanation that he just has no talent to begin with? Anyway, apart from that bullshit is the movie itself. Now, I think there's a lot of juice to the idea of a Superman story where he comes back after a prolonged absence. The problem is that this movie goes about the concept in the worst fucking possible way. So, guys, Superman wouldn't abandon mankind for any reason. Ever. But he definitely wouldn't do it based upon a rumor. Which is more or less what he does in the movie. Now, to even mention his absence is to somewhat touch on the deadbeat dad stuff. A lot of other people have done that already, and it's, and it's tempting, but to me, it's sort of my proof text that the script is loaded down with lazy writing. Brian Singer and his little crew of boy writers wanted to tell a Superman story where Superman has abandoned Earth to search for people like him, only to come back to Earth and discover that someone like him, his own son, in fact, has been right here all along. And so he didn't need to leave. The problem is that the very concept necessarily brings up deadbeat dad and homewrecker issues, and those issues are completely foreign to Superman. I don't think it's necessarily a case where Singer and his little 
writers, his, his friends from X2, were necessarily trying to turn Superman into something he's not. They were trying to force a story onto Superman that just, it doesn't fit. And they were trying to force it to fit. And that basically turns Superman into things that, very honestly, he wouldn't be. He's not a deadbeat dad. He's not a homewrecker. He's not a sh he, he's not a stalker. But, and that's I, I seriously doubt that's the way that Brian Singer and the writers view him. But that's the story that they wanted to tell. And if it turns out that they have to force that on Superman because it doesn't fit naturally, well, fuck it. You never made any omelet without breaking some eggs, right? So, those, those things, as I say, are completely foreign to Superman. Not only that, but for as much potential as the concept of making, a super, uh, making Superman into a father, as much potential as that may have, it necessarily brings about a change in the story that Superman in film may not be able to support, ever. The average moviegoer didn't and doesn't want to see Superman struggle with fatherhood issues. They want to see him save the world. But, if you must tell a story where Superman is absent for several years, you could at least do it in a way that doesn't sully the character. And as it happens, I have an idea on how that might have been accomplished. For whatever else it is, Superman Returns is a sequel to Superman 2. It's that simple. And... What happened in Superman 2? Well, as I once bitched about for a half an hour, Superman gave up his powers just so he could knock boots with Lois. And, of course, he had to take his powers back to save the world from Zod and the other Phantom Zone escapees, blah, 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 blah. Here's the thing. I think Jor-El would have been royally pissed off about all of that. So, here's how you could handle it. Set it up that after Superman defeated Zod, Jarrell called Superman back to the Fortress of Solitude for some remedial brainwashing. I, I mean training. For some remedial training. This requires that Superman temporarily disengage from humanity and spend a few years in the Arctic. So, this pretty much eliminates a lot of culpability Superman has in the decision to leave. And what culpability he does have mostly comes from idiotic, boneheaded decisions he made all by himself during Superman 2. So, you could argue that this is really just more consequences for his stupid decisions. You could even still kind of riff on the same plot of Superman the movie like Singer obviously wanted to do, but now it doesn't. It, it it just it all happens in a way that feels like a logical continuation of Superman the movie and Superman two. All that and being as the movie is dedicated to Christopher Reeve, this alternate vision I just pulled out of my ass does a damn sight more to honor his work and his memory than Superman Returns does right now. And. In an odd kind of way, this is where the comics once again have a leg up on the movies. The up-up in a way, or slash one year later storyline, touches upon a pretty similar premise as Superman Returns. Superman has to come back 
after a prolonged absence, in order to save Metropolis in a, during a face-off uh, with Lex Luthor, who is in possession of kryptonite technology. They even have a fist fight after Superman gets poisoned by kryptonite. Now, nobody will ever convince me that this wasn't somebody at DC watching Superman Returns and then saying, No, you idiots, this is how you do it. But seriously, guys, go back and read Up, Up, and Away sometime with the understanding that it came out at about the same time as Superman Returns. It's tough to argue that Up, Up, and Away isn't something of a critique of the film. I mean, guys, fuck! Alright, moving on. Apart from all that, there isn't even all that much action in the movie. Superman is playing for high stakes in this movie, but you never really see any of it. You never really get any sense of it. We're told that Lex Luthor's plans will pretty much decimate life on this planet, but his first attempt at creating his own land structure doesn't offer a whole lot of immediate peril to Metropolis. I mean, yeah, some windows get broken, a sign falls, and a gas main ruptures, but otherwise Metropolis is really none the worse for wear. And on top of that, the few action scenes that we do get are pretty lackluster. You know, people mention the plane rescue, but first of all, that was pretty much copied over from the Abrams script, and second of all, it's still pretty mediocre. It's as if Brian Singer doesn't understand how to shoot a Superman action sequence. Which is to say, you have to keep Superman big and inside the frame as often as possible. You need to use angles and close-ups like that because ultra-wide shots make Superman look small and ineffectual against whatever he's up against. Compare the sequence in Man of Steel, where Superman learns how to fly, to the airplane rescue bit in Superman Returns. Say whatever you want about the guy, but Zack Snyder understood the key was to constantly position Superman large and in charge inside the frame at all times. Brian Singer, on the other hand, consistently chose angles which made Superman appear small and puny. It's hard to be impressed by Superman's majestic and awe-inspiring qualities when he's constantly shown as being the size of a postage stamp. I mean, is this Superman or fucking Mighty Mouse? Then there's the production design and the costuming. I honestly have no idea what Singer was going for here. The costumes are freaking neurotic. Lois typically dresses in this sort of throwback 1940s stuff which somewhat matches the Daily Planet building's exterior, what with all those deco elements and ridges and stuff. But then Clark is dressed 70s chic, while Lex is usually costumed like a Gilded Age robber baron, and everybody else in the movie is dressed fairly modern with those types of clothes, and they use fairly modern technology like cell phones, HD televisions, modern-day cars, and all those sorts of things. It's just a really fucking neurotic presentation. And then there's the color choices made in the film. Yeah, sure, there's some artsy-fartsy stuff going on where Superman's withdrawal from humanity is reflected by the colorless clothes that everybody wears. So, 
The majority of the cast is sh is shown in various shades of black, white, gray, browns, beiges, and other drabby colors. That means that Superman's little pleather bikini is always the brightest thing in any scene that it appears in. But even the bikini has a lot of odd design elements to it. I mean, a, a pleather cape? Seriously? And what's with all those S symbols on the treads of Superman's boots? Is that supposed to make it easier to find him if he's ever lost in a desert or something? Now, these days especially, comic books are a genre unto themselves. One thing that people associate with comics as a form is bright, eye-catching colors that pop out at you. But nothing in Superman Returns pops. Nothing. The costume designer, Louise Mingenbach, even went on the record saying that a bright red and bright blue Superman outfit just wouldn't work for modern audiences, so the colors of Superman's uniform were changed. The red elements took on more of a wine-colored hue. The bright blue bodysuit was turned into this sort of electric or powder blue color. And the yellow elements were given a sort of dull, mustard-colored tone. The end result is butt fuggly. Now, part of me wants to cut Ming and Bach a little bit of a break on the grounds that she had to work with Routh's goofy proportions. People I've met, Brandon Routh, and for as tall as he is, he's mostly torso. His legs look to be whatever the average height, or rather length, uh, for a leg is. His height comes mostly from his long torso. That makes designing a bodysuit for him kind of a bitch as a skin-tight outfit will pretty clearly show just how fucked up his proportions really are. So, when Mingenbach said that she designed the costume around him specifically, and what looked good based on that, I find that actually very easy to believe. Just, for the moment, don't think about the color scheme. Just think about the, the design of the costume. She basically designed a costume that worked as well on his anatomy as she was capable of creating. So, as I say, part of me wants to give her, give her a little bit of slack just based on that, but... I guess the point is that none of this is going to be visually appealing to small kids, which is a big part of any comic book movie's bread and butter. If you're a five-year-old kid and you have a choice of between two action figures... Battle-damaged Green Goblin, and Arctic Gear Lex Luthor. Which would you go with? Yeah, that's what I thought. Also, for a movie that cost well over $200 million to make, nothing about this movie feels at all epic. I don't know where the hell the money went, but it doesn't look like it's on screen. Guys, even the lighting is second-rate, the lighting of each individual scene. Compare pretty much anything from Superman Returns and pretty much anything from the first seven seasons of Smallville. Even though Smallville is a TV show with maybe a hundredth of Superman Returns' budget and even less production time, it consistently turned out shows that looked like feature films. The lighting, the cinematography, the color designs, 
and other things all looked first rate on Smallville. Now, with or without that comparison, Superman Returns is lit like a fucking sitcom. Most shots in the movie have this dull, boring, flat lighting. It's just boring to look at. And even the handful of scenes that have more nuanced and theatrical lighting include Ralph dressed in a bikini that just looks weird and goofy, so this whole thing never really balances out. And to think, I waited just over three quarters of my life for another Superman film, and all I had to show for it was some skinny little toothpick bartender from L.A. in a pleather bikini who badly recited old Christopher Reeve lines and... <sighs> anyway. So, I guess, to wrap this all up, all of this kind of works into why Man of Steel played for me. I went into Man of Steel without any baggage. And the reason for that is because it occurred to me at some point, I didn't need Man of Steel. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I needed Superman Returns to be good. And it wasn't. But by the time Man of Steel came along, I'd moved into a, a much different headspace. Between the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and the Burn Age, I had over 45 years of comics to choose from. There's also 10 seasons of Smallville and 4 seasons of Lois and Clark. Plus you've got Superman the Animated Series, the George Reeves show, or at least the first two seasons of that, Ruby Spears, and tons of other stuff. So, bottom line, when it comes to Superman and all media, I'm pretty much set. I'm doing just fine. It'd be great to have more stuff to add to the menagerie, but when you come right down to it, I don't need it. Besides, there's no way Man of Steel could have been worse than Superman Returns. I mean, yeah. Superman Returns had come out seven years ago by that point, but I realized, you know what, it's... This is not okay. It's never going to be okay. I don't care if the rest of my life is filled with nothing but brand new, awesome Superman films. The pain of Superman Returns will always be with me. So as you can imagine, that took a shitload of pressure off Man of Steel. So, I went into the movie theater and saw a Superman film about a character who was recognizably Superman doing demonstrably Superman things while wearing an outfit that looked like Superman's outfit in the comics. More or less. Sure, Man of Steel wasn't perfect, and there are some things I'd change if I could, but I'm a lot less emotionally involved now. It's not as personal for me as it used to be. All I wanted from Man of Steel was to show me Superman doing a lot of cool action stuff and kicking a lot of ass. And I got that. Snyder knew to avoid casting some emo McHipster as his metrosexual lead, 
there was action to spare. The characterization was as close as I can hope for from modern-day Hollywood. And overall, Man of Steel was just a fun ride. In short, Man of Steel was everything Superman Returns should have been, but wasn't. And that's why I loved Man of Steel. I guess the real legacy of Superman Returns is that it put the Donner Cannon out to pasture for good. It's unlikely that anybody will ever attempt to bring Richard Donner's Superman out of mothballs at this point. And I'm okay with that, because if we if we had gotten a new origin movie in 2006, I think a large and vocal part of the fan base would argue, to this day, that Superman should never have been rebooted. But Superman Returns is... Un, it's an effective but unintentional proof text that modern audiences under the age of 30 or 35 mostly haven't seen Superman the movie before. Superman Returns, it probably didn't set out to prove this, but it, it ended up proving that Superman the movie isn't the huge icon that its fans say it is. Now, there are iconic elements of Superman the movie... Christopher Reeve and arguably the the Williams music but those are just about it otherwise everything else in Superman the movie is it's just too old and outdated for younger audiences they needed and deserved a reboot and as somebody who obviously has a very broad view of Superman I'm relieved that they finally have a good one the one positive thing to come out of Superman Returns is Man of Steel now, I don't think that getting Man of Steel is worth the price that I paid for it, since, like I said, the pain of Superman Returns will probably never go away. <clears throat> but at least we finally have a good series of films now, which exist inside of a shared universe, and can be used to tell more and greater adventures of Superman. So... In retrospect, in the final analysis, at the end of the day, after the dust is cleared, and after all's been said and done, Man of Steel is the only good thing that Superman Returns has ever given us. But, at least there's that. It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Shortbox Showcase. 
together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. And Ron, just Ron. Dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind. It's Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. Hey everybody, Magnus here. I've got an announcement to make. Moving day is coming. I'm here to confirm that the rumors are all true. Yes, Magnus Media Enterprises Limited is being bought out by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. Lawyers from both sides are still currently hashing out the finer details, but what this means for my loyal subjects is that Trentus Magnus, Punch's Reality, will soon join up with the Two True Freaks podcast network, which can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. For right now, the target launch date is November the 26th, 2013, but you never know if, when, or how things may change, but that's the plan for the moment. As a side note, I'd like to add that this move will not result in any changes in content. Additionally, there are no circumstances where I'll be laid off and the operation of Trentus Magnus Punches Reality be turned over to podcasters in India. Everything will proceed as it has been. I'll add additional details as they become available, but I'd like to thank all of you for your support, and I hope you'll continue once we've moved over to the TTF feed. Please watch the Trentus Magnus Facebook page for additional details. I think that's just about the end of that. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at magnus.libson.com. But that's about to change. I'm preparing to move to the Two True Freaks podcast network, and the target launch date for that is November of 2013. You can also find Trentus Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which on Facebook is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. 
Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play, so keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is copyright Magnus Media Enterprises Limited, Wisconsin Falls, California, in association with the DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy.